We're so close, but a few days removed from Ole Miss and Memphis kicking off in the Liberty Bowl for the 2019 college football season. It's only right then that today on Talk of Champions, we're all football all the time. Got Brian Scott Rippey to join me to break down the Ole Miss two-deep depth chart, as well as the voice of the Rebels, David Kellum and Kentra Lockett, former Ole Miss defensive end for the 40-yard dash, a recurring segment that will happen throughout the college football season here on Talk of Champions. But first, let me tell you about my bookie, one of the many proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. It's a new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. The one thing that hasn't changed, where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and that's why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there like me, you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. My bookie offers up to $1,000 first deposit bonus. It doubles your first deposit. Use the promo code TOC for Talk of Champions. TOC to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie, M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code TOC for Talk of Champions when creating your account. My bookie, bet, win, get paid. And now it's Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's getting closer. Ole Miss and Memphis kickoff of the 2019 Ole Miss football season. It's almost here. Finally. So only appropriate on this edition of Talk of Champions that it's all football in football in more football. Got two guests coming your way. David Kellum, the voice of the Rebels, going to walk down memory lane with Ole Miss Memphis, as well as Kentrell Lockett for the 40-yard dash, a segment we're going to do as often as we can this college football season. But first, it's Brian Scott Rippey of Super Talk. Hey, bud, what's up? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. You fired up for the game? Honestly, I am a little bit just because fall camp's been fairly boring. And I think that's good from an Ole Miss perspective, because if your fall camp is interesting outside of a quarterback battle, you've either had a lot of injuries or off the field stuff. And so it's been fairly boring. And honestly, I'm this team actually really does kind of fascinate me. And this game is really fascinating because it means so much, particularly on the Ole Miss side. I don't really know much about the Memphis front and what that changes for them, but it really is going to be kind of an interesting game. Ole Miss was off Monday. School started. Tuesday, picked back up with practices. This is rolling out on Wednesday morning. They released their two-deep depth chart on Monday. Anything surprise you, jump out to you from that two-deep? No, I wouldn't say a huge surprise on anything. I think the fact that Michael Howard is starting at left tackle and Bryce Matthews is listed as quote-unquote the backup to Alex Givens is probably a pretty dead giveaway that Alex Givens is not going to play any, maybe a couple, 15, 20 snaps. I just don't see at this point how he could be a major contributor for them because if Gibbons was going to play, you would slide Matthews back over to left tackle and have Howard back him up. Would you not? 
Probably, but I think ideally Ole Miss just wants Bryce Matthews to be that swing offensive lineman, period. They want to make him the Sean Rawlings, the Jordan Sims, and Michael Howard has distanced himself as far as being one of those two starters at tackle. But you're right to think that they've gone from Laramie Tunsil, and this is no disrespect to Michael Howard. He might end up being an all-league caliber performer. He hasn't up to this point. He's a senior. He's more of a journeyman offensive lineman at this point. But he's been impressive in fall camp. But yet to go from Laramie Tunsil to Greg Little to Michael Howard, that's undeniably a substantial drop off. Oh, yeah, sure. And like even with respect to Bryce Matthews, even if Bryce Matthews was lining up at left tackle, that's a substantial drop off. I agree with what your line of thinking in the sense that they want Matthews to be the swing guy. I just think particularly for this opener. If Givens were a full go and going to be completely healthy, I just think they'd probably rather have Matthews at left tackle rather than a guy who really hasn't played much football as a converted tight end and has struggled to keep weight on his entire career. You know, like probably. they're probably a better team if Howard's a, a contributor and Matthews is the swing guy. I'm just, I think it's more of a product of Givens' health more so than them trusting Howard. And I don't think that Michael Howard, even at 280, can hold up physically over the duration of a season. So while you might be playing the hot hand for the season opener, I don't think that he would be the left tackle in four games. Not to say he won't have some success, but I think he's got a very good likelihood of wearing down pretty quickly. I would agree. And like, we'll never know this because we can't get the kid to step on a scale, but it'll be interesting to see if he's able to maintain that weight once you get into the day in and day out grind of an SEC season. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's just like in baseball. Ryan O'Linnick can never keep weight because you inevitably drop weight once you start playing games and then you're practicing every day. You get into that routine. Yeah, you might have worked all offseason and eaten everything you could to gain weight, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay on once you start playing. I mean, I hope it goes well for him and I hope he's able to. He seems like a nice kid and obviously he's kind of worked his ass off to kind of get to this this point and hung with it with despite not playing very much to this point in his career. I hope it works out for him. I'm just a little skeptical that he'll be able to hold the weight, but I don't know. Maybe he's a quicker undersized left tackle can kind of hold his own. It's just it's like you said. I mean, you go Greg Little, Laramie Tunsil, even some guys they had before that and now you're kind of I mean, it is a weakness. I mean, you call it what it is until he proves it otherwise. It's perceived as a weakness. The bottom line is this a weakness right now. I do think that Nick Broker is going to be a three-year starter at left tackle starting next year, and that's a good thing, but for this year, you're having to get by with what you got. And the biggest question I can hear right now from Ole Miss fans, I can just hear it being yelled into their radios, why not Alex Givens? They don't like Alex Givens at left tackle. They've tried him there, and it hasn't looked like they wanted it to. He is a dominant all-SEC caliber right tackle, but at left tackle – He looks just like everybody else. It just hasn't worked. So he's not really an option there for them. Yeah, I do wonder, though, and let's just a hypothetical here. If Howard just doesn't cut it and whatever else they try there is just not working and they're continually getting torched there, do you move Matthews or Givens there? I move Royce Newman there. Okay, that's fair. You think he can play tackle? Yes, I think he's a better tackle option than anything else they could run out there at left tackle. Then you get Jalen Cunningham, who I think has more upside than other options, into the starting lineup. Jalen Cunningham was supposed to be the starting left guard at this point. Now, he's had a pretty good camp, but he's still not gotten to that place that they expected him to be. This was supposed to be his time, and he's been a little slower in his development than they'd hoped for. Yeah, the only other thing really on the depth chart that surprised me at all, oh, not even really surprised, They got those three corners, and one of them just has to be the odd man out that isn't technically listed as a starter. I was a little surprised it was Jalen Jones. I don't think that really necessarily means anything at all, but it was just interesting to see that guy of the three be kind of the odd man out. I did feel good that I predicted 
weeks ago that Keydron Smith was my breakout candidate. Now, I have a terrible recent track record of predicting breakout guys. But Keydron, I feel pretty good. And for him to be listed as a starter ahead of Jalen Jones going into Memphis, now that could change. That could change in the next couple of days in practice. I don't know. We don't get to see all that much during game week. Hell, you didn't get to see much during August practices. But as of today, as we're recording this, Keydron Smith listed ahead of Jalen Jones. So that made me feel pretty good. He does have length. He does have some athleticism to him that you want to get him on the field. And I think easing Jalen Jones in is not a bad idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. Yep. Because honestly, if you're actually betting on it, if you're looking at those three and saying who ends up being their two best corners, I would actually probably argue it's Smith and Jones if Jones is fully healthy and Hartsfield just is slightly behind him. Because Jones at least felt like a guy that was supposed to kind of have a breakout year before that happened to him in the season opener last year. I mean, hell, he had seven tackles in two and a half quarters and took a kick to the house. I know that doesn't really pertain to anything defensively, but like it felt like he, his season got cut off before he really kind of took flight and took the next step as a player. He was on track to be all league had he stayed healthy in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. He claims he's made a full recovery. I did a story that I dropped on Monday evening, just about his like recovery and stuff. And it was interesting when he was like picking people's brains and stuff about the knee rehab process. And it wasn't even just like the Devon Penniman's and uh, Ken Webster's of the world. He's kind of going up to walk-ons and just being like, what do I need to know? Cause he told me he had never been really been hurt at all in any capacity before. I, I kind of found that interesting. Two other mild surprises. One, Momo Sonogo or Donta Evans. I don't read a ton into that, to be honest, man. Is that just a nod to Donta Evans to, to allow him to be validated for what they think has been a good camp for him? If Momo's I, not really a threat to be taken off the field. Yeah, isn't it just to keep him invested and let him kind of nod, kind of give him a nod and be like, we see what you're doing. We see you've had a good camp. We're going to validate that a little bit. Because let's be honest, man, Mohamed Sanogo was the leading tackler on the team last year by something ridiculous, like 38, one 32 tackles. Like he was really was a bright spot on what really was just kind of a sore defense. I, I don't think it Mohamed Sanogo is in any danger of being unseated as the starting inside linebacker. I think they're just trying to give him a nod while also keeping Lakia Henry on the field alongside Sanogo. I think Dante Evans is probably going to play. I don't see that as an indictment on Sanogo at all. I don't think he's in any danger of losing any playing time. You could convince me that Evans is now the number three linebacker, which is disappointing for me because Jacquez Jones at this point should be one of those stalwarts on defense, and he's not. Does that come, though? He's still young-ish. I mean, he's going into sophomore year. Maybe he comes on this year, and but I agree. I think he should probably be up there as well. And then, like, I guess Willie Hibbler just kind of is what he is at this point. Oh, Willie Hibbler's done. I think he can help you situationally, but he's never going to be what you thought his upside was. Yeah, they need him for depth, honestly. They need, what, 20, 25 good snaps out of him a game? Yeah. I don't know. That linebacker position is going to be interesting, particularly what they do at the edge, guys, because I think that could be potentially the difference in this first game because Memphis is a little bit vulnerable at tackle, but at the same time, if you give that white kid time to throw, he'll just kind of death by paper cut a little bit. He doesn't really push the ball down the field very much. They're going to have to get after the quarterback, and they weren't very good at an exterior pass rush last year. Think about where this team would be if Lakia Henry and Sam Williams hadn't been landed in that last class. Yeah. I mean, you're talking two guys that are allegedly going to make really huge impacts. And I mean, like you said, you take them off this defense and it's, it, it, you feel a lot different. I mean, I, I imagine if you're an Ole Miss fan, you don't really feel particularly great about it as is, but those guys, at least you kind of, you kind of know what you should get from them. The other surprise, Dontario Drummond or Jonathan Mingo or Miles Battle. Miles Battle, what are you doing? 
how does that flesh itself out though? Like, is it just one of those things where he wants to play a lot? Cause it was interesting. We got Jake Peeler last week for availability and he brought up a really fascinating point that I maybe was just not thinking of last year when it happened, you know, all the Ole Miss receiving core got so much kind of hype and clout last year, but after four guys, they really didn't have a whole lot. No. I mean, Peeler pointed out that after Metcalf went down and they went into that Vanderbilt game, Lodge was just kind of limping around the field because barring, you know, just a broken ankle or something, he kind of had to be out there. They didn't have any depth. And so he was pointing out that they were really only four deep at the end of last year, and they want to play seven to nine guys this year. So I think he's just trying to get as many of them in the mix as possible. You would like to see battle as probably the clear cut starter. That'd probably make you I'd be a little more reassuring statement, but I think he's going to play six, seven, eight dudes in this game. Sure. But I know this, if Jonathan Mingo had been able to make it in for the spring, he'd be the starter by now. Yeah, because he's the one dude you heard the entire time from the coaching staff that, like, if there's one guy out of that receiver class that's drumming to side because he's a Juco dude, just physically ready to play wide receiver in the SEC, it, it felt like Mingo kind of just walked in physically ready to play. He's A.J. Brown. And anywhere, number one. Yeah, so you better be good. Yeah, that's kind of the thing we talked about the last time I was on this show. It's kind of become a thing. I asked this on Monday in the podcast with Sue to preview in the Ole Miss Memphis game. I give you Elijah Moore or the field to lead Ole Miss in receptions. Who you picking? I think Moore. I don't necessarily know about yardage, but I think he's going to be a really high-volume catch guy. I think he's going to be – I don't know if crutch is the right term, but I think Matt Corral is really going to lean heavily on him hard at the slot. Honestly, I said this back in – and this is by no means going out on a limb, but I kind of said back in January, like if you're looking for a dude at of Ole Miss to just kind of light the league on fire, I think it's him, is it not? He had 36 catches amongst that receiving core last year, cracking that rotation as a freshman. And it felt like a quiet 36, did it not? Yeah. Here's the deal. Ole Miss had no players placed on an all-league team going into the year. Two guys stick out immediately as obvious candidates to end up on that list. Or three. I'll give you three. Alex Gibbons, Elijah Moore, Momo Sonogo. Now, Jalen Jones, you can make that case, too. Let me see what he looks like. Ken Webster was never the same after his knee injury. So let me watch him actually go out there and play and see if he can still do it. But those three seem obvious as guys that could because of volume and also because of pedigree and their past production ending up as all league caliber players by the end of the year. Yeah, Webster's interesting because he, like, I don't want to say faked it for a while, but he wasn't really that impactful last year. But the first year back from the injury, there was so much other stuff going on. It didn't get talked about much. He put together a pretty productive season no, despite true. not being the same physically at all. He was an interesting case towards the end there. But yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree. It's Sonogo, Givens and more. And then like you said, let me see Jalen Jones healthy. He's Brian Scott Rippey of Super Talk Mississippi at BS Rippey on Twitter. Check out the Rebel Report, his podcast, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with Colin Brister, a good friend of this podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. Should be available anywhere you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions. If we're not there by now, hit me up on Twitter at Spirit Ben, and I'll make sure to get it done for you. But when you go to Review Talk of Champions in iTunes, make sure to leave that five-star review. You can talk all the shit about me you want, but make sure it's five stars just for me. As a favor, I'd appreciate it. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to David Kellum, the voice of the Rebels. Let's take a walk down memory lane of Ole Miss Memphis games past. This interview with David Kellum brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. 
Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local modern woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman phone line is David Kellum, the voice of the Rebels. Ole Miss football is back. Ole Miss Memphis on Saturday at 11 a.m. DK, what's up, man? Man, Ben, doing great. Busy week. Can't wait. Time to crank it up again, man. What year is this for you? Uh, football 31. Um, they're going by pretty fast, too. I'm shocked that it's that many, but it sure is. It'll be the 31st season um, of doing radio for football. When you look back on it, which call stands out the most? <laughs> I know one thing. If I had a dollar for everybody to ask that, yeah. I wouldn't have to be the tired dude, man, having a great time on the beach somewhere. Uh, the Tebow call, I thought, when we beat them, and they went on to win the national championship, was a was a fun call. But I, I gravitate really more toward relationships with the players and coaches, and getting to hang out with the crew I hang out with and all. But um, you know, there's there's just been so many because I've done so many years, so many fun moments and uh, exciting finishes and all that. Uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to have several of those. It sounds like you've rehearsed that answer, DK. I have. Does it sound like a rehearsed answer? <laughs> well, it's true, too. It's, it, it really is being from the heart. I mean, I, it's, and then I'll even go prep and go, oh, i got to go back and think about this game and that game. And, and we use those audio calls, you know, all the time. And the uh, university will put up a, a clip or Learfield IMG will put up a clip from some past game. And it was like refresh my memory. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty good game. Ah, that was a pretty good call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the key, the key is to just be in the moment and uh, make sure you, you get it right, execute it correctly. Do you know the call that I remember most when I was younger? And it's going to make you feel old, but um, I was listening to you, not watching, because not all games were on TV back then, but the 1998 Ole Miss-Auburn game, the payback game against Tuberville. I will never forget that. I was at a friend's house, and yeah. there was like a – carnival or something i can't remember that part of it that was happening in downtown new albany my friend lived down the street and when you made the call when Ole miss beat auburn and beat tubs we went running down the street like it was george and it's wonderful life you know we were screaming that Ole miss had beaten auburn and that's the Ole miss memory with dk that i remember well and you know it's interesting because a lot of times it's it's the situation i mean how many Old Miss fans, who, who if you put some distance between it now, you really appreciate what Coach Tuberville did at Old Miss, but you really wanted to beat him that next year so bad, uh, and so that was everybody and his brother was hoping that, that we'd win that game, and then uh, to pull it off uh, in the fashion that we did was pretty incredible. Old Miss and Memphis kickoff on Saturday. What is your Old Miss Memphis memory? And do not say the three to nothing Old Miss win because I was there and it was terrible. <laughs> You know, I do have a story on that one, though, 
it's kind of interesting. We did the game. I couldn't remember for the three nothing game or previous game, but the game's over. We were so anemic offensively, we just couldn't get anything done. And we do the TV show afterwards, shoot the footage, and then we go back to the uh, campus and lay the audio of the plays. And we're shooting the post game portion of it, you know, on the field at the Liberty Bowl, and everybody's gone, about to leave. And uh, Mary rode up with me, and so Coach Brewer said, "David," he said, "I want to ride with you." Okay, coach. But you know my wife's with me. That doesn't matter. And I said, plus we got to go through Harmontown, pick up my two little girls. He said, that sounds like fun too. Let's go. <laughs> and so he jumped in our little, you know, at that time little uh, little family minivan that we had. He jumps in and we drive. I, I can't uh, imagine you know, what was going through his head on what was such a tough game. But he just wanted to be around friendly folks, I guess. And we go to Harmontown and pick up my two daughters, and you should have seen their eyes when Coach Billy Brewer was in the car with us. They didn't know whether we won, lost, or indifferent, but uh, it was it was kind of the next moment. He just wanted to ride home with the killing family. <laughs> so that was that was a tough one, uh, obviously. You know the thing with Memphis, and I don't want to say this in disrespect for Memphis, but though Miss fan, you you always feel like you're supposed to win that game, you should win that game, and you're relieved when you do, and not necessarily celebrating that you won it. Well, we got through that sort of sort of the way it's been. And through the years, Memphis, uh, Ole Miss has just dominated the series overall. Of course, in, in uh, recent times, Memphis has been able to find a win here or there. And I think now you look at the, the difference between um, uh, playing it on a regular basis and having a little gap here, I'm not so sure those elements exist this year. Most people think Memphis is a better team this year and uh, you know, Ole Miss has got the chip on the shoulder as opposed to being in reverse for, for so many years. But, yeah, it's always been, I thought, a fun game. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, you get, uh, the first game of the year when there's so much heat on that particular game. And so we got that back for this rivalry this year, too. And I interviewed Coach Balk, Ben. I know I'm rambling here, but I interviewed Coach Balk several years ago prior to a season where we opened with Memphis and this is a fun story too um I called coach Vault when he was living and said coach David Kellum I want to I want to meet you and do an interview about the importance of you know the season opener and opening with Memphis he said well David he said you have to meet me at the golf course and I'm <laughs> on my way to the golf course but I'll do it for you when we get there and so okay so I grabbed my little tape recorder and went to the golf course and interviewed Coach Vault and rode with him in his golf cart. The funny part of the story is we went about three holes in on the university course, and I, I was through with the interview. He said, you through? I said, yes, sir. He said, you know how to get back to clubhouse, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I took off and walked back to the clubhouse. He wouldn't give me a ride back. But it was a precious interview. In fact, I'm going to use a clip of it uh, this weekend on our broadcast. And he basically said, uh, most important game of the year. You're hoping for no mistakes. And he said, if you lose that game, it just leaves a bitter taste in your mouth all year long. And I think that's really appropriate for any season that opens, but especially when it's a kind of a backyard rivalry like we have with Ole Miss and Memphis. That was going to be my next question. Memphis views it as a rivalry. They get up for this game. Does Ole Miss view it as a rivalry? That's a debate I have on this show all the time. The short answer is no. I, I, I think that irritates Memphis people maybe, but when you look at LSU and State and then really all the other SEC things that we have to deal with, and you know, you've got your traditional rivalries, and then you have some that crop up because of the history of, of recent games between teams. Uh, there's a lot of times I had wished through the years, though, Ben, that we did take it more seriously as a rivalry. 
game. It just it seems like there's been times where we weren't uh, necessarily ready and thought all we were going to show up, and, and that's just not the case. And especially now, this Memphis program, Chris Norvell's done a wonderful job with it. He's uh, you know got his recruiting. I was looking at the different players they've got. It's more of a national recruiting flavor. Uh, they're winning more battles in Memphis in recruiting maybe than they have in the past, and it's a very good football program. So that alone may uh, make this individual game pretty interesting. But uh, as far as rivalry goes, I think Memphis probably is considered it more so than Ole Miss through the years. Because when Ole Miss loses to Memphis, that's when it matters. Like in 2015, 37-24, yeah. yeah. that's when it has an impact on Ole Miss's season. Yeah, and you rarely see when Ole Miss wins a game uh, back-in-your-face type attitude, if you will, you know, that you might get in a uh, in a rivalry. Uh, it's just a different conversation. It's a very important game, and I don't think it should be minimized by, by any means, but when you try to put it in the rivalry uh, standpoint, and even Memphis fans may say, yeah, it's an important game to us, but you know, what are your true rivalries through the years? Is it Ole Miss? Is it State? Is it Tennessee? You've had some significant victories over those teams through the years, but there's no doubt that uh, as far as ranking rivalry obviously some of the others so what are your thoughts on Ole Miss football entering the year you know it's it's really interesting I've been to several practices and I love what I'm I'm seeing uh you know I'm not a high dollar paid coach just been watching it a long long time uh and I'm sure that uh you know some of the others that are covering probably feel the same way there's just so much mystery I love the talent Oh uh, gosh, there's a lot of speed out there. There's good size out there, but there's so much newness involved. Uh, not only with significant younger players, they're probably going to be impactful, but you've also got new offense coordinator, new defense coordinator. Yeah, they're very established and wonderful people, and uh, really good at, at this football thing, if you will. But still, there's a learning curve, and it's new. They're doing something they haven't done in a while. You got all of that uh, going on. Uh, and so I don't know. There's a lot of mystery, just a ton of, of mystery going into this particular season. But I'm very optimistic always. You know, I mean, you know, you're undefeated until proven otherwise. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, is the defense going to be significantly better? Are we going to be, um, you know, efficient on offense without all the um, receivers and going to maybe a little bit more of a a run game. We've got some very capable guys that I think are going to step in and be very efficient in that receiving room. Uh, but, you know, I, I love the running backs. I think we've maybe better than that slot within a while. There's some mystery on the offensive line, too. So, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be really uh, fun. There's not a whole lot of just point to uh, givens. And I think, you know, the media, not uh, putting any of our kids on the all SEC teams speaks to that a little bit. There's going to be some guys this time next year, Ben, I think will go, yeah, man, what a great season he had, and he's going to be a superstar. Uh, but there's there's maybe a little bit of a void of that going into this season as we kind of wait and see who emerges. What's your favorite non-Ole Miss stadium to make a call in or to call a game in? Before that answer from David Kellum, the voice of the Rebels, let me tell you real quickly about Grove Sharks tailgating and the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood the Ole Miss football season has arrived it's here and Grove Sharks tailgating can take care of all your game day needs locally owned and operated Grove Sharks tailgating specializes in tent rentals and setup packages that can accommodate parties and gatherings of all sizes 
For more information, visit Grove Sharks tailgating at grovesharks.com and like them on Facebook at Grove Sharks or contact owner Eric Trimble at 662-816-3493. The Lamar, Oxford's only traditional neighborhood, is under construction. Brought to you by John Welty Realty. A traditional neighborhood means right where you live. A grocery store, a brewery, restaurants, shops, all within walking distance of your front door. But what about the houses? They're custom high-end spec houses. Beautiful finishes, open concept, modern two-story houses. If you're looking for a three-bedroom, a two-bedroom, a one-bedroom, you'll find a fit with any of these three spacious layouts. Get in with the Lamar right now. Build-out is happening. For more information, contact John Welty at john at johnweltyrealty.com. That's john at johnweltyrealty.com. Or give him a call at 662-23-HOMES. 662-23-HOMES. And now, back to Talk of Champions. Most of the league places are pretty cool. I love going to LSU um, just because of the atmosphere and uh, the flip side of what we've been talking about with some of the non-conference stuff with Memphis or somebody else. When you are successful and win in Baton Rouge, it's like one of the greatest feelings in the world, as you well know, as a long-time person around this particular program. So I really, I like what you get at LSU. I think it's really, really cool. Um, there's others. Tennessee in the day when it was really rolling uh, with 100,000 plus and just incredibly uh, impressive with going to that stadium. South Carolina may have one of the best atmospheres of anybody. We don't play them as often, but that stadium moves and rocks, and you know they they do the space odyssey thing, and it, it's really cool. We've, we've got several venues that are extremely fun. And I'll be honest with you, when Texas A&M came into the league, we went into that going, well, "What's it going to be like here?" And the pageantry and all that's involved there is uh, pretty impressive too. You've been doing this since the '80s. Do you still get the same type of excitement when a football season rolls around? You know, I do, and uh, I told my wife a few years ago, you know, I'm still, retirement for me is still down the road. I think the number of years has everybody thinking, I wonder when he's going to retire, but uh, I just turned 60, uh, which is an, uh, an older age, and I need to keep saying I'm 59 plus, but uh, still a lot of energy, uh, love what I do, tremendous passion for what I do, if that starts to wane, you know, then, then you got to really consider, because it's a grind. you got to consider, should I continue to do this, yay or nay? Uh, but no, I'm still full throttle, love what I do, uh, love bringing energy to the to the broadcast and all. And I'll say this much, when you get to the end of baseball season, I'm a little bit more worn out than I used to be. It's like too much ice cream, you know. Uh, and so I, I look forward to my brings. Like the day after the baseball season ends, if it ends, uh, kind of abruptly, and I, I wish it kept going. I'm kind of depressed the next day. Then the following day, I'm like, wow, I don't have to prep for a game for two months. So I enjoy my downtime too. But I love the, the prep that's involved in it. I love calling the games. I love hanging out with our crews that, that are so much fun to be with and, uh, and just hanging out in general with, with uh, people associated with the program. Um, but, but, yeah, my passion's still still burning strong. When I took your class, the hardest class I took at Ole Miss, you told me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You told me that baseball was your favorite sport to call. You've been calling that for longer than I think any other sport. Is that still your favorite? Yeah, to to the degree we're splitting hairs. I love all of them. I really do. But I've done baseball for so long, and I started that 
1978, and so I'm at 41 years on, on baseball. I just poured my heart and soul into it years and years ago. I really didn't think I'd be doing uh, baseball this long, but there came a moment when they were going to hire me to do football and basketball. A lot of announcers only do those two. And I was all prepared. I went in to visit with Warner Alford. They were about to make me the voice of the Rebels, and he wanted to meet with me. And I just had this gut feeling that Coach Alford was going to take away baseball. And I wanted to keep doing it. And there was about three or four that were lead announcers doing all three. So I was going into his office ready to, you know, I can handle all three. And uh, Warner said, David, he said, listen, uh, there's two things I want you to know. One, you're not the star. (laughs) He said, the players and the coaches are the stars. You just describe the games. I said, yes, sir, I got you. And he said, and secondly, he said, I know a lot of announcers are not doing baseball, but he said, I want you to keep doing baseball if you think you can do it. And so all that prep I did to defend myself to keep doing baseball, uh, I didn't need. He wanted me to continue to do baseball, which I was really excited to do. But it's a grind. There's no question it's a grind. Some people probably make it as much as I am doing only the two sports, but that's all right. I love I love the sport. Uh, and, you know, it's been it's been fun to uh, continue to do baseball all these years. I've told you this before, but everybody tells you a lot of different things, a lot of DK memories, so I'm sure you've forgotten this. But back when I was 10 years old, Ole Miss lost to Valpo after Bryce Drew shot. I was listening to you, but well, watching not. the game, I started sobbing. 10-year-old Ben was sobbing when this happened. and <laughs> We were too, by the way, just to make you feel better. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was so torn up about it, and I hear DK, and the sound in your voice was like, well, DK's mourning with me. Pretty much, you, you're the one <laughs> yeah. – that kind of kept 10-year-old Ben from just going into a complete form of utter depression. Well, and I have a running joke that goes with Keith Kessinger. Uh, of course, Keith has helped me in some basketball games, been outstanding in baseball for several years, former player, et cetera. But anytime a score pops up and Valpo loses in any sport, I just celebrate. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and Keith, Keith says, David, are you ever going to get over Valpo? I said, no. And no. Mm-hmm. They got beat today. Hey, they lost in bowling. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, ne- yeah, that was that was a tough one on that day. Never going to get over that one. That will never be one that is okay or that you can get past. It's just go- I'm going to the grave remembering how miserable that loss was. He's David Kell the voice of the Rebels. Ole Miss football kicks off Saturday against Memphis. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. No problem, Ben. Love what you guys do, and I can't wait to get it going. That was David Kellum, the voice of the Rebels. Ole Miss and Memphis kick off the season on Saturday at 11 a.m. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. He's Brian Scott Rippey in the guest co-host chair. You can check him out on Super Talk at BS Rippey on Twitter, and he's got a podcast of his own, so check that out, too. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud and should be wherever you get your podcasts. Just simply search talk of champions. Before we went to DK, Rippy and I were going through the two deep depth chart. It could change. Is there any potential movement there on the depth chart that you think can happen by kickoff on Saturday? Any guy jumping up the depth chart this week? I really don't see it. I mean, unless it's a towards the corner, unless they make a change at the corner thing you're talking out and they throw Jones out there instead of Hartsfield or Jones out there instead of Smith or something like that. Other than that, I, I, I may be missing something, but I can't, but I can't see, I mean, maybe Tisdale ends up getting the nod. They've generated actually some decent depth on defensive line. So maybe he earns a start, someone on the defensive line, something like that. But like, other than that, I, I can't really think of anything that sticks out 
at least initially. Miles Hartsfield moves to free safety if Jalen Julius gets hurt, God forbid, or isn't all that productive this week, and then Jalen Jones takes over, maybe something like that. Maybe Jerion Ely takes over as the primary kick returner because they want to ease Jalen Jones in even more. That's how he got hurt last year. But really, I think the depth chart they rolled out on Monday is probably what you're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, and along the lines of the Ely thing with running backs, I don't know necessarily it's anything Ely's done in camp, but man, if there's someone that's not on people's radar right now that you would think would probably jump on it pretty quick, isn't it Snoop Connor? Very frankly, from what we've seen in practice, being slightly ahead of Ely at this point was very surprising to me. Yeah, me too. And when you look at the depth chart, they had four listed, and the order was Scotty Phillips, Jerion Ely, Isaiah Willard, Snoop Connor. I thought that Snoop and Jerion's places would be totally different. I honestly think that Isaiah Willard, despite being listed third, is the fourth option right now. But to see Snoop at the bottom was somewhat surprising. Yeah, wasn't it like a three-way or basically? Yeah, yeah. Like in my mind, if you're actually giving up the carries, I would actually go Phillips and then 2A, uh, Connor, 2B, Ely, and then Willard. Like that's how it is in my mind, at least from what we've seen. What is Jerion Ely's impact on Saturday, if any impact at all? 10 to 12 touches. Like maybe he gets seven carries and four, three, four, five receptions, something like that. I mean, I guess if he blows one up early in the game, obviously they're going to give him the football more, but that seems like a fair guess. Who has more touches, Tylen Knight or Jerion Ely? Man, that's tough. I just don't know how they're going to use either one of them enough to form an educated answer. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about Saturday. I think I I guess I would lean Knight just because he's played a year of football and they kind of know a little bit more about him. The thing about Tylen He's just caught up at a position behind Elijah Moore with the dude who's probably the one known commodity right now outside of Alex Givens when he's healthy on that offense. I mean, Tyler Knight, you're obviously not running that kid between the tackles, but do they use him like an H-back type deal where they get him on the perimeter and some speed sweeps and stuff like that's why it's almost it would be more interesting to watch this Ole Miss team this year if the offensive line ends up being competent. But it's all probably going to be rendered moot if the offensive line can't block anyone, right? Well, yeah, that goes without saying at this point, but the deal with Tylen is they don't need to use him as a running back anymore. They got options. Right, but like, do you get him in motion and get him on like jet sweeps and stuff like that? Because he was pretty effective doing that last year when they did, you know, when he wasn't playing defense. The two most fascinating pieces to me from that game are both of these guys we're talking about right now. How are Ely and how are Tylen Knight used? That's going to be fascinating to me to watch. Has Lakia Henry been as impressive as the coaches and players have described him in media availability? Before we get that answer from Brian Scott Rippey, let me tell you about BNA Bank, which powers Talk of Champions. I don't know about you, but I want my banking made simple. And I certainly want to trust the people who've got my money. Well, if you're like me, BNA Bank is where you need to go. Maybe you're a student just starting out. You don't know much about personal banking or business banking, loan services. Well, I tell you who does. BNA Bank, be it Mike Staten, Bo Collins, Vance Witt, my buddy Bob Spencer. These are friends of the podcast. Ole Miss fans, sure, but more importantly, they care about you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make sure that your banking experience is done flawlessly, comfortably, and with trust and respect. With a five-star rating from Bauer Financial and an excellent rating from Weiss Ratings, VNA Bank is recognized as one of the strongest financial institutions in the country. But where can you find them? How about bnabank.com? Or give them a call, 662-534-8171, 662-534-8171. 
VNA's main office and two branch offices are located in New Albany, my hometown, with another branch located in Myrtle, two branches in Tupelo and Lee County, Mississippi, and one loan production office in Oxford. Where you put your money matters. And the only place to put your money, the only place that Ben Garrett puts his money is BNA Bank. So check them out, bnabank.com, 662-534-8171. There's no other place. They've helped me, they'll help you. Tell them Ben Garrett to Talk of Champions sent you. And now, back to Talk of Champions. I think because like the first week of fall camp, he was running with the third team in, in some capacity. And I think that's just mostly a product of him not picking up the system because he didn't have the spring football. He didn't go through spring football, which is a little bit unorthodox for a Juco kid. It would lead me to believe the way his trajectory went throughout camp that once he kind of got the scheme down and some of the responsibilities, he shot up pretty quick because of ability. And that really happened, and I would say, in the last week and a half of camp or so. So I think probably once he got the mental side of it down, the ability probably spoke for itself. Former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett knows all about the impact of JUCOs. He's consistently, since he's been on this podcast for, what, three years now, sung the praises of Rory Johnson, the impact that Rory made. What is that transition like for JUCOs? Is it a concern to be relying on JUCOs so heavily to start the year? Former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett coming up right now. It's the 40-yard dash. We're going three. One, two, three. Let's go. The 40-yard dash with former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett. There he is. It's the big guy. Brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. It's the 40-yard dash here on Talk of Champions, brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right. Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolemiss.com. www.impactolemiss.com. Make a difference. Make an impact. Former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett, joining me for what will be a recurring segment on Talk of Champions this college football season. It's the 40-yard dash. 40, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, man? It's only right. Football season. Highly anticipated. And here I am. How are you celebrating the return of college football? A cold beer, a comfy couch, and a big screen TV. I just can't wait for the first games. You know, this weekend I didn't really get into them because it was still, it wasn't the games I wanted to see. But next weekend, I'm highly excited, highly anticipating these games. Memphis, Ole Miss in the Liberty Bowl. You're up there in Olive Branch. You going? Yeah, I'm thinking about going. If not actually going to the game, I'm for sure going to be on the grounds and tailgate. Um, last time they actually played, I went to the game. I had kind of an iron in the fire then. You know, my brother-in-law was playing. He's going to be out there. He was on the news this morning kind of talking about it. So I, if I'm not at the game or in the Liberty Bowl, I'm going to be on the grounds at least. So what are your thoughts right now on Ole Miss and Memphis? I'm interested to see. It's kind of like two offenses, same offenses. You know, that spread kind of, but we kind of throw some more things in there. I'm curious to see how a defense going to match up against that spread and that quick, that fast pace. The quick passes on the outside, that's just an extension of the run. See how they handle that because that's the same offense that we run. you know. So they go up against that every day. Now we're going to see against an opposing team who's actually going to open the playbook up a little bit you know, because it's the opponent. You're just going to see how it's going to match up. 
What's this week like for a player? It's finally time you get to hit someone else. You've been practicing against your friend, maybe a roommate, um, uh, just someone that you see every day. You know, there's only so much you can do. And now it's to the point where, you know, it's getting to be that big rivalry game again between Ole Miss and Memphis. And there's a lot of trash talk being going on. Uh, some guys from the surrounding areas may have played against them or deals on the same team or whatever it may have been. And it's right up the road. So it's almost it's a big game that you're starting your season off with. So you want to go out right. You want to uh, show the coaches that you, you listen. You listen to what they said. You want to show the work you put in on your offseason. So it, this is the this is your first showing first showing out to put what you did in the offseason to work or on display. I don't want to compare this team to the first year under Houston Nutt, but there are similarities. Granted, y'all had far more talent coming back for a turnaround to happen quickly, but y'all had to learn how to win. For this team, how can they turn the worm quickly to enable them to get on that six-win bowl-eligible path? You know, you you may have seen the success early on, may in practices, you may see the glimpse, but you really don't know how good you actually are till you have till you face adversity. It's a quick three and out, and then when you get the chance to get back on the field, it's a it's a a, a pick six. And you know just how you overcome that. If you have a, if you have some plays in your playbook, you know that that can get you out of jam. If you have plays in your playbook that could get you that first down when it's third and twelve, third and thirteen, whatever it may be. You know, so so it's just some of the things that you actually have to put in place. Situational things that'll get you ahead or to get you in the position where you need to be. I can't access the archives of Talk of Champions, and somebody asked me on Twitter recently about the watermelon story with Houston Nutt. What was that story again? Simple. It's hot during camp. It was a reward, I guess. You know, I would rather snowball, popsicle, but it's his friend. I guess they have this tradition going on when they were in Arkansas. He brought watermelon, cold watermelon, hot watermelon, whatever it may have been, and there was trailers of it. It was a trailer with hay, and there was a horse trailer. So Coach Nutt and the guy would just go up against each other like it's bull in the ring, but it wasn't bull in the ring. It was they would go on cadence and they would punch the watermelon. Whoever would punch the watermelon, I would break the watermelon and they would see seeds and juice first. If it was Coach Nutt win, that mean we have a good season. If it was the other coach, if it was his friend, that mean we wouldn't have a good season. But both years, I remember when we went to the Cotton Bowl. Coach Nutt won one year and then the guy won another year. You know, so I guess it's just a tradition that he tried to keep going. I just was happy for the watermelon, the cold watermelon, and the breaking practice. <laughs> Your most memorable camp moment was what? It has to be when we went to the swimming pool. It was just another breaking camp. We was able to get away from the heat and do something fun. Um, we went to the pool, Coach Nutt. Dive, we were diving off the diving board trying to see who could actually swim. Got Coach Beaumont. Shout out to Coach Beaumont, by the way. I just saw he got the head position, athletic director of some school district or something like that or another. Coach Beaumont throwing passes to us from the side as we jumping off the diving board. We used to take a bowling trip, too, and it was linked by teams. And whoever won would get, whoever would win would get prizes and all of those things. I remember those nights. That was, those were real intense. You really saw who could bowl. LaMarco Armour could bowl. Mike Wallace could bowl. Kendrick Lewis could bowl. It was a battle between those guys. It was a wager. It was wages among, among wages among wages. Yeah, man, those were some of the fun days. I forgot all about those those bowling nights and stuff. Man, we did have fun, despite some of the things people would hear or see or would only imagine when under the locker room. We did have fun, though. Who was the most embarrassing swimmer that might surprise people? Ooh, Jarrell Poe. 
That doesn't surprise me at all. Just, no, no, man. You would think he would float, but it's an awkward doggy paddle. It's a real awkward doggy paddle. <laughs> it's real awkward. You just see his head above water. It's almost like a turtle, like a real-life turtle, the biggest sea turtle you've ever seen. <laughs> it was him. Just a, He was floating, but you could see the legs kicking and paddling. Oh. And Ted, Taylor Rent could swim, but he looked like he was struggling, man. Ted got like a long leg and a short leg. Well, maybe it seemed like that because his legs are kind of crooked like parentheses, man. That's how <laughs> bow-legged he is. <laughs> He's real bow-legged. So I, that probably that probably did something to him, man. Probably didn't allow him to swim properly. <laughs> he probably had to frog it. You know, had to swim like a frog compared to how he actually tried to do. Does that team-building stuff actually work? Yes, it does, man. You know, when, when when it gets to a point where that's your guy, that's your friend, when you know of him, you've met his mom, his dad, you, you know what makes him go. You know his weaknesses on the field and you know his strengths. Ted loved to go inside. And if I was on Ted's side, I know Ted would go inside. I just kind of knew I had to fill that void. But at the same time, Ted knew I would like to go inside too. It's like just second nature. When you have uh, that, that trust in a person and just know that guy, and, and that, that you know, okay, it was like Greg and Parade. Greg and Parade didn't have to say anything to each other. If Greg would go inside, Parade knew he had to go outside. It was it was one of either I'm going to get the sack or Parade was going to get the sack. So it was like it didn't matter who it was, you know, and, and it got to the point where they say Greg, it would be Greg already had 10 sacks, but then it'd be like, oh, Miss D-Line is one to reckon with because now you're double teaming him. Somebody else is going to get in. So you kind of you feed off that. And it's kind of, it kind of build competition, you know, like this guy keeps going. Now it's time for me to score. It's time for me to celebrate. It's time for me to get the praise. Overall, it helps the team. It helps the morale. It helps the confidence. Imagine if, if, if the guy that you keep egging along and just saying you're just that one play away, that one play away, you keep telling it to that guy. And then he, do, he finally does get in that game. And that one play was, was the biggest play of the game that caused us, may have caused us to win. So it does help. It helps just as much as the X's and O's and the actual physicality on the field. College football is the only level of football that doesn't have some type of preseason exhibition. Do you think that college football needs to have an exhibition or do those preseason scrimmages really serve, those game-like scrimmages really serve that purpose, so to speak? Those scrimmages are good for live action, for situational things, such as two-minute with actual referees. You get penalties and all that thing thrown so you can actually get the feel but to me to actually get a real feel live bully you have to have someone that 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 doesn't live in the dorm with you or someone that's five minutes from campus it has to be an opposing team that's going to give you plays that you really haven't seen it may not be a 90 play game or do half line do middle drill just to see you know and didn't let the receivers do one-on-one drill somewhere else but big man on big man you, ju- you just have to see you have to, that's really how you gauge your team at the beginning of the year, you really can't look at, all right, say the red, the red and blue game, for example. You see those guys playing, but those guys been going against each other all year. I, all year. I know if I'm a defensive end, if I've been going after Bradley Sauer all spring, I know I got to just keep pressing upfield, upfield, and then when you open the gate, I'm going to go inside. It's guaranteed he's going to do it. So, in a sense, I'm playing the drill here in the game. You had the red, white, and blue game, you got four sacks. Oh, well, that really don't count because I've been getting sacks on Bradley Sauer all year. So you have to practice against someone different. You know, iron sharpen iron. I can't sharpen. I can't get as sharp if what I'm sharpening is, is, is dull to an extent. So you have to go out of that. So with the NFL, I understand why the NFL do those little preseason games. Or even when, 
you know, when they're in camp and the opposing team will come pull up and they'll be there for a few days. I get it. I think it would help, but I don't think they will be for it. The reason I ask that is because Matt Luke was asked about it at his press conference on Monday, and he mentioned those game-like scrimmages. But for the newcomers, even those game-like scrimmages don't truly stand as a representation of the speed of the game. For those that don't know, including the newcomers, what's that speed actually like? Some guys can adapt quick. Some guys, it take a while. Some guys, this may be their first time hearing a different set of cadence. All since you've been on campus, you've just been hearing one set of cadence from, from the coaches and the, and the quarterbacks we have, not hearing a whole different set of cadence. That's some, cadence, something that you have to train your ears, ears and eyes, all of that too. So some guys make an adjust quick. That's just if the students of the game could actually be in the game and understand, you know, just on the fly, some guys may have to go back, look at it on tape, take it from the board, put it on paper, and then see where they went right and where they went wrong. But that's that's the way you find out who's your players. Your cream shall rise to the top. You're you going to see who the guys who going to be able to see that pulling guard and know he have to be over the top compared to that guy that's taking a step back in the run play. You know, you'll be able to see all of that on film. If a guy, it's a mistake once you do it one time. If you do it three, four, five times, it is a habit. He, You can't have that habit. You have to get him out of the game or you have to correct it. Because if not, the coaches that's in the box up there, they're going to see it as well. Coach, this linebacker not getting off over top. We can run this trap all day. We can run this counter all day. We can trap this backer because he ain't moving. Ole Miss is starting three junior college transfers, or at least – on their current two-deep depth chart, they've got three junior college transfers as starters. First career game will be Saturday against Memphis. Is that a big concern if you are a part of that defense? Is that a concerning thing? We'll get that answer from former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett after I tell you quickly about the Oxford Park Commission and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. The Oxford Park Commission is currently registering for youth flag football in the fall baseball season. Leagues are open for ages 6 to 12 in football and 6 to 15 in baseball. Cost to sign up for football is $50, while it's just $40 for baseball. Each sport will be played at FNC Park. For more details, visit www.oxfordparkcommission.com. That's www.oxfordparkcommission.com. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. After the first few plays, you kind of get to weigh that out, too, because you look at these guys, these guys, the JUCO transfers, compared to your freshmen, they may have, may be a part of the game speed already, because you look at JUCO now, the caliber of players that's coming through there, you know, some JUCO teams are, are high caliber teams, and they may be in it already and may could just fall in and fill a void. But then some guys, you know, that may have been the reason why they went to Juco and it just take a few more plays for them to get in, you know. But at the same time, you know, they, those Juco, same Juco players were recruited there for a reason. They was recruited there to, to fill a void and to help the team immediately. They just have to show themselves. 
it may be hard. I ain't going to say hard, but just just like, again, the speed of the game, everything changes. Everything is just one step faster. And once you understand that or once you can get to that speed, everything will be fine. Really, no matter the player, you know, it's all about want to. You can't teach hustle. If you're going to hustle, you're going to hustle. If you're going to get beat, you're going to get beat. But it takes the player, it takes the dog to be like, I'm not going to get beat on this play no more. I can't let him beat me like this again. So it's just how you come back from the play. It's the next play. You can't let you get beat three times. You know, well, he reach blocked me. He cut me. Oh, he cut me off. He cut blocked me. Now he cut me off. So that's three negative plays. They stick in minuses. You got to find the, the, the good in there for the next time. Oh, I look at his stance. I see it's a reach block. I see he heavy. I see he coming down. Army, army, army. I see he sitting back. I see it's a pass. Navy, Navy, Navy. It's certain things. Now you got to realize I wasn't on my P's and Q's the first series, but I got them now. You know, that's just me. So I don't know if that's how they actually approach, but that's the approach they need to take because the guy is not going to continuously beat me for one series and then we come back the next series and he's going to do the same thing. No, bro, you didn't show me your hand now. You didn't show me your tricks. Now it's time for me to pull my tricks up. Once they get in the live fire and once they see what's the, uh, what their opponent is dealing with, just check their all first play and then go from there. Is there a Juco that came in and played immediately that you knew, okay, that guy's good? Rory Johnson? Yeah, we've talked about that guy before. Man, listen, I ain't never seen nobody like it. You know who else? Damian Jackson could have played. He stepped in on the field and could have played immediately, and he was a headhunter, too. And that, that I think, was his downfall. Him not wrapping up, but he was always there. He always would make a tackle. What was your first impression of Enrique? I was believing everything they said. I saw the videos and all of, of when he got there, but I, I, I guess he kind of lost something in the in the mix of him getting there, you know? Enrique, looking at him, you think he was a perfect back, but he lacked like that break. He didn't, I ain't gonna say that breakaway speed because he could get away from you, but it was like, it was him uh, maintaining that speed. Like like Ben Jarvis, for example. Ben Jarvis was the same way. He could, he hit the hole hard and quick and fast. He'll hit you with a one move, didn't get to the sideline. But after 20, 30 yards, if you got a corner or a safety that can run, he's got and in the same situation with Enrique, it may not that he may get caught, he may get tired, may catch a cramp or anything, you know. So I think stuff was easy for him then. And when it kind of got challenging, he didn't want to just meet it face on or try and surpass it. He was just trying to use that talent and just let that let that kind of just show itself and see where it carried him. But, man, everybody good at that level. Does Ole Miss go to a bowl this year? I think they do. I don't know what bowl. I give them six games. You know, you got a lot of young players that's hungry. Uh, some players left. I think some guys are going to try to fill some roles and go try and step up. And at the same time, you know, I feel like the coaches have something to prove, too. Well, I ain't going to say they have something to prove, but they want to show the world that they could actually play and compete. And then you got some you got some names there. You got some coaches there that, that have been proven already. So I'm just curious to see how it all going to collide. What's going to move? What's going to shift? So everything could be right and everything be in perspective. I'm I'm just excited and I'm curious. I'm anxious and eagerly waiting to see how this is going to play out. First game will tell. First first half, almost the first series. First series of offense. First series. So look, if the defense start the game off and the defense start off at three and out, if the coin toss and we defer the ball and defense staying right there, they're saying something. They're trying to make a statement. But if they get the ball, want to receive, I guarantee the first play of the game going to be a shot. 
Coach trying to say something, too. I just think everybody got something to prove. Coach Nick's going to send his backers on every play because that's just him. I'm just ready to see it, man. I'm just ready. Can anyone outside of Tua or Trevor Lawrence win the Heisman? I don't think so. Not as of now until someone shows himself. Tua, he's already the lead man. You look at it, it's Alabama. Trevor as well. He's going to be there as, as well. They're going to be competing against the number one and number two. Like number one ranked team, number two ranked team. Or uh, vice versa, depending on who they play, PowerPoints, scoring and all of that. I really don't see anyone beating these guys no. or, or surpassing those two. Because you look at the numbers they're going to put up. You're going to look at the guys surrounding them. Look at their schedule and all. So that's the only two, unless there's this guy that just come out of nowhere and does spectacular things. But I, I you know of that guy that's in the NCAA no, right now? No, no. I don't know. I don't think they have one of those. Jalen Hurts is, at Oklahoma is interesting, but he's not a Heisman candidate. No, no. You can't go to Oklahoma and just think you're going to be Baker Mayfield. We're headed right back to another Alabama-Clemson showdown in the national championship. It's boring, but that's what college football is right now. That's all it is, but when you look at the, the two great coaches and then you look at the programs, they can pick and choose who they want. So, you know, until another team challenges those two, I think they can be beaten. They have weaknesses, but until someone actually get on the playing field and match that level of intensity with those guys at that moment, we've showed it, was, it could be beaten with good defensive play, offensive execution, and a smart quarterback. We showed that Alabama could be beaten. Everyone, and Clemson showed it too. So it's just a matter of doing it. I think Alabama win a lot of games just off the intimidation alone. That helmet with the numbers on it and that elephant, that damn elephant. I, I used to be afraid of Alabama since Tyrone Prothrow when they was running the old truck and trailer. And that, and that was years ago. That was when Shula was their coach. They, they were the Green Bay Packers in my mind. I'm like, that's Alabama. That's the Green Bay Packers. That's all I knew. You know, and I guess it's the same thing nowadays, but they they could be beaten, man. It's just a matter of not being afraid of old Saban. You got to test him. Make him show you what he know. Go in that playbook, coach. Call your good defenses for me because I'm throwing everything at you tonight. That's how you be the best, man. To be the, be to be the best, you got to beat the best. He's Ken Sherlock at former Ole Miss defensive end for the 40-yard dash brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. We're going to do this every so often whenever Kentrell is available during the college football season. So make sure you're watching up every game, every Ole Miss game, because I need you to come on here and tell me what I'm supposed to be watching. Yeah, man, I'm going to watch. If I'm free, no lie, I'm going to try and get there. I'm trying to get to the one this next week. Thank you, buddy. We'll do it again. No problem, man. It's always a pleasure. Everybody out there, I'm back. You know we got to always end with R.I.P. Phyllis. That was the 40-yard dash with former Ole Miss defensive end Kentrell Lockett. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at SpiritBen on Twitter. He's Brian Scott Rippey of Super Talk at BS Rippey on Twitter. Talk of Champions is brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. If you're in the market for a new car, there is no better time to buy at Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Not only do they now have in stock the 2020 Jeep Gladiator, which is half Wrangler, half truck, it's the perfect car for me. But also 20% off select Ram trucks. And I know, I know, no one really loves the car buying process. I'm with you. It can be overwhelming. You're just looking for the best deal. 
Well, Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is here for you. And what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. Maybe that'll help when you buy that 2020 Jeep Gladiator, that 4x4 truck you've been looking for. 20% off right now. Select Ram Trucks. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. All right, before we get out of here, Rippy, been going through the two deep depth chart. Had David Kelvin, the voice of the Rebels. Had Kentrell Lockett for the 40-yard dash. We're going to do that all throughout the year. But one thing that we haven't touched on, really, is should Matt Corral get hurt? And you heard Matt say that John Rice Plumley provides something with his legs that Grant Tisdale doesn't. But Grant Tisdale overall is probably a little further ahead. But he left it open-ended as far as who his number two quarterback is. If he had to handicap it, because we've been talking about this all preseason. If Matt Corral went down against Memphis, who's going in? Honestly, man, at this point, I, I this may sound a little ridiculous. I would go like minus 180 that it's Tisdale at this point. That's probably changing in October when Plumley gets in a little more acclimated. They see a little bit more of him. I just think Tisdale's polished. I think they feel comfortable with him. I think he's just a product of him being there longer. I mean, he talks really polished. I mean, he, he, he at least spoke about a week ago like he was going to be the backup quarterback. So I would feel pretty confident about saying it's Tisdale at this point. But again, if, we have, if we're having this conversation mid-October, I think it's a completely different conversation. So what's the scouting report on Brady White? I mean, he's only had a year of starting under his belt. He's never thrown more than two picks in a game. His completion, I think he was averaged like eight yards of completion, but he completes 63% of his passes. So he had 26 touchdowns and nine picks. So he's a guy that doesn't push the ball. I swear I think one of his biggest faults is not necessarily pushing the ball down the field. And on Monday, I had a guy from uh, the Daily Memphian covers football for him, Jonah Jordan, seemed like a good dude, uh, provided some interesting insight but he was basically saying that part of the reason he didn't push the ball down the field last year he was dealing with the number of nagging injuries and wasn't completely healthy but he seemed to think the guy had the ability to do it so I think he's a guy that's not going to make very many mistakes but also a guy that's not necessarily going to take the top off the defense and throw it deep a ton and take a ton of chances I don't know if that's good or bad for Ole Miss because I guess if the opportunities are there he is going to torch you deep but at the same time like I think it's just going to kind of be death by paper cut in some ways Ole Miss was ranked 121 in total defense last year. Memphis was 89. Just for sake of argument, say Ole Miss makes that jump, that leap to 89 in the 80s. How much of a difference would that make in wins and losses, assuming that the offense isn't a total dumpster fire? If you're telling me the offense isn't a complete dumpster fire, don't they win six games? That's the question. I don't know if that's a sizable enough jump, but Memphis, even though being 89th in total defense, had its moments to where it was pretty stingy. Now, it got absolutely ripped apart against certain teams, but there were other times in which Memphis was okay and they were opportunistic, turned the ball over, stuff like that. Man, if Ole Miss jumps 30-something spots in total defense, I just I think that would make a gigantic difference for them. I really do. I think that would get them to the six-win threshold, maybe seven. I, I think that would be huge. It puts so much stress. I know the offense wasn't good last year and all the Phil Longo stuff. We've rehashed that a ton. But, man, if you just had a competent defense, they would have been in so many more games at the end of games. I, I, I think that would be a sizable jump for them from a results standpoint. They would have at least won seven games last year. Right. So didn't a lot of it the same this year with the way the schedule sets up? I just don't know what the offense is yet. That's fair. There's so much turnover to think that everything's going to be clicking in a competent fashion on Saturday, I think is naive. 
I think the same could be said for Memphis too. And that's why in some weird ways, I almost think the Ole Miss defense is benefiting from getting them the first game. Because you remember last year, Ole Miss played Texas Tech. The defense looked fairly competent in that game. And I don't think if they'd have played again in October that it necessarily been the case. It's almost like they benefited from the offense having a little bit of rust too. I don't know. That may be a spin zone. I don't really know. I just think they maybe benefit a little from it being Memphis's first game too. Because Memphis, a little weak at tackle, replacing a little bit in the running back, even though that Patrick Taylor kid is pretty damn good. But aside from that, it is the first game. So maybe they're benefiting on that end a little bit too. But I would agree from the Ole Miss offensive standpoint, them clicking on all cylinders in the first game is just not realistic. Suda Upadea, who co-hosted this show on Monday, reported on Monday. Mike Norvell said that Chris Claybrook's and Everett Cunningham will be out against Ole Miss. That's a big deal. Clay Brooks is a starting cornerback. Cunningham is in the rotation on the defensive line, I think at defensive end. So those are big deals for Ole Miss, but at the end of the day, Ole Miss is just going to have to go out there and perform. They, they have gotten through camp about as well health-wise as they can. Montreal Custis isn't going to play. Alex Givens, I'm like you, I don't think he's going to play. But overall, health-wise, I think they've done pretty well to get out of it as they have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other than Gibbons, you're not really talking about anyone that suffered a really bad injury in camp. Custis kind of is what he is. Do they get something out of there, you know, later on in the year? I don't know. That remains to be seen. But they haven't had anyone just out for the season or out for a significant amount of time, something that happened in the last three weeks in camp. So, yeah, it went literally about as well as it possibly could. Who wins Saturday? Oh, gosh. I think I lean Memphis. Just It's a sellout crowd. Even they get it in a close game in the first quarter. I mean, it's 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 Matt Corral's first college start. They're so young offensively. The offensive line is so shaky. I just have a hard time saying convincingly that Ole Miss wins. Now, would it stun me if Ole Miss won on Saturday? No, but it, like if you're putting a gun to my head and saying you have to pick the right team, I think I'd lean Memphis 35-27, something like that. But again, if people are hearing this, that makes them angry. If Ole Miss wins the game, I'm not going to be surprised at all. I'm just, I would lean Memphis. I don't know what to make of this game. I will put my hand up admittedly say like a lot of games, particularly with as predictable as Ole Miss was the last two years, you could really kind of forecast how a game was going to go. This game, I legitimately have no idea how this is going to go. There really isn't a result that could shock me other than if you told me Ole Miss went in and blew the doors off of Memphis and won like 44-17 or something like that. That's really the only result you could present to me where I'd be like, oh, that's surprising. If Ole Miss loses, what happens next? I don't know. I was saying on our podcast the other day that I view this September as like a three-part test for them with C-Law kind of being the bonus that you have the answer to. Like if you get that wrong, you got all kinds of issues on your hands. You could still not pass part one and still do enough on the other two parts to get a passing grade, that being Arkansas and Cal. But again, if you flub the first part, what are the odds the second and third part are going to go any better? So – if they lose, they better hope they respond and beat Arkansas and Cal. Because, man, if you lose that and then you lose at Arkansas at home, I don't know where you go from there. I can tell you where you go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be good. Let's be honest. We're going to be doing coaching hot boards pretty quickly. It's just, there's is there anyone in place to pull trigger on that? Well, Keith didn't roll over Mike Bianco. That's fair, but that just felt just far enough on the edge of the line but keeping it inside the line that's the equivalent of an interim making a power move is the interim ad really going to fire a football coach will he have much choice i don't guess but man that w- honestly that would be surprising to me barring like two and ten or something that would be shocking to me if that happened no me too but let's not pretend like there wouldn't be a groundswell of people wanting to make rich rodriguez the head coach and give him a trial run oh 100 percent. and, and that's mean- something that i said in the offseason I, I gave matt luke the props for that Hugh Freeze would have never, never made that hire, ever. For Matt Luke, he put Ole Miss ahead of himself. 
He wanted the best for Ole Miss, whatever that might be. Go hire the best person. Well, in doing that, you've also given Ole Miss an opportunity to replace you with a ready-made replacement, or if not two ready-made replacements with Mike McIntyre being the other, because your coordinators, they've had that head coaching experience. So if things go absolutely awful those first three weeks, there's nothing holding anyone back from making a change. Even if it's an interim, there are enough money people out there that could be pissed off enough to make it happen. I like Matt. Personally, he's a good dude. But at the end of the day, it's a business. And if you're not winning, it's results-oriented. You're going to get fired if you're not winning. Yep, and it's only going to get staler from an art largely apathetic fan base. I mean, if that were to happen, you got to start making drastic moves. So I, I would agree. They're in such a weird place with there not being any permanent leadership in place and then with the whole football dynamic. It's just an odd time. But again, if the last half decade shown you anything, if you're shocked by anything that happens around here, then you're not paying attention. Just go win on Saturday. That would solve a ton. Honestly, and if you look back in 20, not 20 years, 10 years, whenever Matt Luke's tenure here ends, whenever that is, if he wins that Memphis game and they kind of get have the season after that you think they're going to have, that's probably going to be looked at as one of the bigger wins of his career. A hundred percent. It's like the 2012 Egg Bowl for freeze. Like, no, did that really mean anything? I mean, it got him to six wins, got him to a bowl game. Like, that didn't impact, like, the landscape of college football or anything, but that was one of Freeze's, if not Freeze's, most important win. Yeah, because it put him on a trajectory in recruiting that landed Laquan Treadwell, Robert Kimdichie, Tony Connor. Tony Connor was coming anyway, but yeah, you're right. It uh, changed yeah. the direction for them. You had to show progress, whether that progress is incremental or flash in the pan or smoke and mirrors. And Matt Luke has to do that this year. It's been Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit, but on Twitter, he's Brian Scott Rippy. BS Rippy on Twitter. Check him out on Super Talk. What's the podcast? Rebel Report. Uh, me and Colin Brister, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have a good time. Come hang out with us. It's real original there with the title. I didn't make the title because I couldn't think of a creative name, so I can't fault the person who didn't come up with a creative name either. You act as if I didn't give you many options for that title. I know. I'm still working on a rebrand. It's going to come to me in my sleep or something one night. I'm gonna. It's going to be like, that's the one. The show up north. I like that. I gave that to you a long time ago, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I just don't really want to think of Dan Mullen every time I say it out loud. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I get it. That Florida-Miami game is horrible. It was, but bad college football is better than none, in my opinion. Or just football in general. I, I'm more of an NFL guy, but I just like watching football in general. But it was cr- cracking me up watching these takes. Like, I saw Pat Forty wrote a column. It was like, the slob should, like, kill the fact that, like, kill this week zero idea. It's like, really, man? Six days later, that would have been much higher quality? Yeah, it sucked, but it was awesome at the same time. I just thought it sucked. <laughs> it entertained me. After two and a half months of nothing happening once the NBA Finals are over, it at least entertained me. I watched the entire thing, and I wasn't bored. Major League Baseball. I love Major League Baseball, more so than most people probably down here in the South, but you can't tell me that kind of grabs your attention as much. I mean, I guess the Braves are in the thick of a playoff chase. That's probably a little bit different, but just watching it you know, as a neutral observer for a random MLB game, I like baseball. I appreciate it, but it just doesn't do the same as like the drama and intrigue of football. And that's fine, but originally I was going to say, do you know me at all? Yeah, no, no. I, the Braves, look, if, you're, if your team is in August, mid-August and you're at a division race, which I don't even, it's, I guess, kind of a race still, the Braves are going to win that division. It's still intriguing, but just as, if you're just watching a random game, it's a little different. Yeah, it's different. He's Brian Scott Rippey. I'm Ben Garrett. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Looking forward to the next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.